Hello and welcome back to Softcats Explain It podcast series. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Technology Director, and we're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language, and today is no exception. But we are into part two of a two-parter. Part one was last week. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one, where we talk about security and we talk about hybrid platforms and we talk about the workspace for the user. And this part two on this tech predictions episode is to cover networking connectivity, data and AI and Microsoft. So we're really going to delve into that and we're going to start with networking and connectivity. So Helen, how do we connect all of this stuff? Absolutely. It underpins everything, right? All the bits the other guys have talked about. So perfect segue into our chief technologist for networking connectivity, Tom Rowley. So Tom, a lot of things been talked about here already. A lot of them talking about edge data, that distribution of the information across the workspace with workers and technology getting further and further from offices. How has that affected networking connectivity in 2023? It's a really good question, right? So I think I think the key word there I'll pick out is is distributed. We've got our users, our devices, all working from all sorts of locations as hybrid workers continue to be adopted. At the same time, we've got that adoption of SaaS and cloud. And really what that means is our applications and services are also highly distributed. So the amount of diverse ways that those two environments can connect to one another is more diverse than it ever has been before. What's the result that we've we've kind of, I guess, started to see from that? It, it's more traffic being bound towards the internet. More, more than we've ever seen. And I think we're just going to continue to see an increase in, in more traffic going to the internet, including from devices such as, such as IoT. But even when you look at our typical working environments, the devices that we have and connecting to these applications, they are more data heavy than ever before. They are more content rich than ever before. As we see more SaaS getting adopted and even starting to see things in the future, I think, where operating systems are even getting streamed down to endpoints. Again, it just increases that amount of data uh, really going over the internet. Now, organisations have reacted to this in a, in a few different ways. The main trend that I think that we see in this world is people moving away from the world of having MPLS-based wide area networks and starting to adopt a direct internet access strategy. As part of that, people, yes, they'll move away from MPLS, they'll go into the route of direct internet access, but ultimately it still kind of isn't enough because we still haven't got visibility and control over that traffic going over the internet. And this is where we've started to see a lot of people implement technologies such as SD-WAN. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of SD-WAN. I love the technology. I think it can empower organisations in many different ways. However, I'll also be a cynic and say, I do think that it's a bit of a sticking plaster over the internet. Ultimately, it does not give you any guarantees around latency, jitter, the path that that traffic's going to take communicating from one point uh, on the globe to another point on the globe. And I think that what we're seeing and hearing from some of our customers at the moment is how do we essentially get to a point where we've got the equivalent of what the benefit we had in MPLS, which is private connectivity from site to site, and they were great in the days when we had loads of on-premise DCs. How do we create our own private version of the internet. And I think this is where we're starting to see the evolution of one as a platform. Or some people are now even calling it as one is the new office in many ways, right? Because how often are we all in the office? Two, three days a week? It really varies from organisation to organisation. 
Now, what do I mean when I say one as a platform? This is where we can start to say that all these apps and services spread across this hybrid cloud SaaS on-premise environment and all these users working differently, that actually we can access our apps, regardless if they're on-premise SaaS or in a cloud, from one central point over a super low latency private network. And really, I'd term that as the middle mile of connectivity. I don't think we're ever going to be able to get away from the last mile being internet connectivity. So SD-WAN will forever still play a role there. But having the WAN as a platform, which is private, where I can start to even talk about hosting controls, such as centralized security controls or centralized breakout to cloud or multi-cloud environments, I think that will start to be something we start to see more and more uh, as we start to get into 2024. So private WAN platforms. Yes. That's easy to do, right, Tom? <laughs> Just spin that up. How, how do customers do that? So there's, there's probably two main approaches that you see in the market today. You see the likes of data center providers who typically have, say, 300, 400 points of presence around the globe. They've realized that, hey, do you know what? We've got private connectivity, private fiber connecting all of our data centers together. So wouldn't it be great, actually, if we used that as a way to transit traffic around the globe at super low latency over a layer two network? That's one approach that we've seen people take to this. And that is, I guess, to your point, as simple as getting a direct internet access connectivity into one of those data center points of presence. The other approach that we've started seeing to this is actually more come from the traditional solution providers in content delivery networks, um, the likes of Cloudflares or uh, Akamai's of the world. And they've kind of taken the different approach to say, hey, we've got a massive global private network. What if we start to use uh, that as a way to host services for our customers? And the main difference between those two approaches is, one, from the CDN side, it is very much an as-a-service model. You take, for example, if you're looking at a centralized firewall, it is their firewall you're receiving as a service. The other approach that you get from the data center providers is very much choose what you'd like to build. If you want to hold a, host a Paolo or host a checkpoint in the middle of that network, absolutely, you can go and do that. But what it is, is really taking that world where we've got a very non-standardized approach to where our users and devices live and our apps, be it on-premise SaaS or cloud, reside, can we create a standardized way as much as possible for them to connect together? So what you said there is that obviously organizations have built something within those facilities and they've found a use case to be able to expand those based on organizations going, actually, we'll start using more of that and businesses going, actually, we'll start selling more of that. It's kind of similar to, I suppose, how Amazon started many, many years ago, wasn't it? They built their own platform through their own services and then was like, well, we can expand this globally to supply this level of computer storage to many other customers. And that's kind of multiplied now across the vendor landscape by the looks of it. Yeah, 100%. And it's also worth saying on this, right, this might not be the answer for everyone. But certainly those organizations who are adopting that multi-cloud strategy or have that situation where they are going to have to ultimately keep some stuff on premise and also put some stuff in the cloud, how can I ensure that the experience that users get accessing either one of those services or applications where no matter where they reside, that the network connectivity experience is the same as close as possible? And Tom, do you see that the hyperscalers are becoming themselves or are already network providers across their, their backbone across the world? 
Yeah, so you do see that with, with some of them. I think the one that you'd probably call out there is, is something like Azure V1. So they're kind of taking that similar approach where they're starting to leverage that private backbone network that Microsoft has around the globe to start to connect and orchestrate multiple Azure instances together. But again, I think what you'll find, and, and this is probably intrinsic with anything that comes out of the, the cloud providers to a degree, it very much plays nicer when you're working just within their cloud environments. I think you need to abstract from that and really, again, look at technology solutions that can work across multiple cloud environments. And there's reasons and drivers that we see from, from organizations behind that. That might be that they just want the agility to be able to move workloads from one cloud to another in a seamless fashion. It may be actually they want that agility from a cost perspective. Could it be cheaper that I'm going to host some storage in AWS this month compared to Azure this month? So remaining cloud agile, again, is, a, is, is another part of that and not ending up in a situation where, yes, you may have paid for a very expensive express route to get put into Azure, which also kind of locks you into, yes, I'm going to put more and more and more stuff into that world. Not saying it's the wrong choice, but certainly remaining agile uh, from a connectivity standpoint I see that as a benefit. Good stuff. Connectivity connects everything. It's changing. It's expanding, et cetera, et cetera. So all good. So let's come on to a vendor that is important for SoftCat, important for every customer we've got. And we've got someone with us who's an expert with this vendor. And that's Microsoft. Everybody's mentioned it, I think, at different points of today. I wouldn't say all roads lead to Microsoft, just be, be straight about it. But let's face it, they've done a great job over the last few years of helping customers consolidate their footprint. Helen, is that fair? And, um, and, and really, it's kind of at the front of most of our customers with things like Copilot being announced over the last few months. Absolutely. And they've definitely taken the same vein as a lot of the other larger vendors you were just mentioning there about creating their own products to help support their customers and consolidate their ecosystem, as you mentioned. So Rich, uh, Chief Technologist for Microsoft, the guys have really set you up here mentioning Copilot and Entra ID. So uh, I hope you're ready. But let's touch on Copilot first. We saw the announcements back in May from Microsoft around AI-powered future of Windows. Rich, how have you actually seen that play out? It's been a really interesting year, actually, Helen. Um, and funnily enough, it marks my twentieth year of dealing with uh, of dealing with Microsoft, and um, never, never experienced anything anything like it. Come back to the Windows piece in a minute. But if you think back to the beginning of this year, rather shamefully, I didn't even have an OpenAI account. I hadn't played with ChatGPT, and then to come twelve months to now, when and I'm not alone in this group of people, almost every conversation I'm having revolves around generative AI in some way, shape or form, whether that's data readiness, user adoption, all of that kind of thing has just been, has been staggering. And as I say, something I've, something I've not seen before. For the Windows piece specifically, yes, we have seen some AI enablement in um, the latest update of Windows. But interestingly, it's been M365 or Copilot for M365 to use the to use the correct and latest name for it. Many customers are now viewing Windows 11 as a technical prerequisite for it, even though even though it's not. The experience is definitely better, what with um, Copilot being being built into Windows. But it's been 
interesting to see that Windows is still very much viewed as that pane of glass to interact with those tools. As a side note, the uh, the Microsoft techie nerd part of me absolutely loves the fact that the keyboard shortcut for it is Windows C, which is the same as Cortana used to be. How about that fact, fans? Love that. Keep it, keep it simple for the end user, right? Keep it the same. So you touched on Windows there, and Jack earlier was talking about how Entra is going to give rise to more diversity in the, the workplace for the end users. So do you actually think we'll see less adoption of, of Windows and, and Microsoft end user compute with Entra coming in to allow diversity? Interesting. Jack and I should definitely have a conversation around this. I haven't had many conversations where it's led back to the um, the adoption of Mac within organisations. All of the all of the conversations me and my team are having are around Windows 11 adoption, which has been absolutely accelerated in the last six months for a variety of reasons. Um, not least, as I say, baking Copilot into into Windows. I think Microsoft has had a really big step change over the last few years in how open they're being in in all manner of things. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about some other areas in a bit. Um, but the fact that it doesn't mandate, it could absolutely use this as a monopoly to say, if you want if you want to use these tools or you want management in Entra, then it needs to be Windows. I definitely think it's a significant step change for Microsoft to say, do you know what? You can bring whatever device, whatever platform you want, you can still play in, um, play in our environment. I have a question. What's Entra? Oh, great one, Dean. Yeah, we've just been throwing that one around, haven't we? We haven't really, we haven't really said about it. And funnily enough, it's been a it, well. Essentially, it's a name change of Azure, um, Azure AD, which happened in May. But I don't think it's been a very well received name change because everybody still says Azure AD, apart from on this podcast where we've unilaterally decided <laughs> to say Entra without actually explaining what that change is. So, yeah. Enter ID, specifically Plan 1 and Plan 2, um, is a renaming of Azure AD Plan 1 and Plan 2. Although more encompassing than just having an element of Azure Active Directory as like a universal directory and identity store, like it's, it's Microsoft's new entire identity ecosystem that's going to link into all of their products and basically form, form the basis of policy enablement onboarding, offboarding, role management moving forward. But yeah, I think that's probably why, Rich, isn't it, mate? Like people go, oh, I've just renamed AAD. Okay, I'll still call it AAD because I'm a purist. But yeah, it's It's a big change. I think it was almost like a soft launch in May, wasn't it, Rich? You mm-hmm. could probably say because there's a lot more to it. I think Microsoft is just developing it and, and we'll see that. I mean, based on the customer count, when you look at it, that's as significant as a co-pilot release, right? But it's not as exciting, I guess, because, you know, let's face it, most customers we work with, they have that as their, you know, the foundations of how they, how the users authenticate, how they introduce security basic principles. So, you know, that's a, that's a fairly significant statement from Kieran in terms of what Microsoft's intent seems to be, is to consolidate and create an identity platform that is for the now and the future of pretty much every customer out there that's going to invest in M365 and in turn, eventually, I'd imagine Copilot. So it's kind of a big thing, isn't it? Wholeheartedly agree. I guess, as you say, timing was timing was key there. It was announced at Build in May when they also announced Fabric and crucially announced Copilot. So the world went mad for the last two. 
and Port Entra, which was a gathering up of the other tools, which most of which existed ev- already, but gathered into uh, in, into a nice platform, largely overlooked by the uh, by the shiny generative AI piece. Oh, there's an element of bitterness in the voice there. I can hear. Oh, that co-pilot AI stuff taking over the world. Damn you! <laughs> um, so, Fabric, you mentioned Fabric. Then let's talk about that. So, uh, that's launched this year. Leans into all of these worlds by the sounds of it. So, so um, what is it? What does that do? It's been really interesting actually because there's been elements or themes around Fabric which has played into what almost everybody else has has mentioned on this call, where essentially. Uh, Fabric is a SaaS offering for data and analytics. So gather up all your data, put it into a great big um, a great big data lake, specifically called OneLake, which I like as a, an amalgamation of uh, OneDrive and a data lake. Um, and within these lake houses, you can query them with a set of tools, probably the most well-known of which would be Power BI. The interesting thing is you can take data from lots of different disparate sources, including Amazon S3, put pointers towards that, and then query it all in one place. I think it would be interesting to see how it plays around Power BI with Copilot. I mean, it's very much a an AI play, I would say, of getting all the data into an AI-ready state. So that's really interesting. So just for, just for my simple mind there, I guess, Rich, um, Fabric is the analyzing engine. Power BI is the presentation layer Correct. out of the back of that. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's. oh, I'm definitely going to miss some out. There is a handful of tools all gathered together in this single SaaS offering. So a lot of the components of Fabric, you could do standalone as platform offerings in Azure already. So um, the Synapse family of products, Data Factory, definitely going to forget some. And then again, you could have connectors into into Power BI, the idea behind Fabric is to bring everything all together as a single consumable piece under under a SaaS offering. And again, how data is stored in OneLake um, is in an open format, so you don't have to use Power BI. There's other tools that you can use to query that. How do you think that's going to help our customers, Rich, being able to pull all of those disparate data points? Gary was talking about data insights for C-suite earlier how, how do you see that helping well i mean obviously getting data into one place where you can you can access it is definitely a um is definitely a positive thing and i mean the majority of conversations that we have around data seems to be how do you wrangle it out of lots of disparate systems and have a standardized process to be able to visualize that data query against it all of that so um i think it's going to be a universally helpful thing to be able to have access to that Gary, I'm, I'm looking at you out the corner of uh, out the corner of my eye. You've probably had more conversations around fabric than I have over the last month. I mean, it's only been GA for a month. Has that been anything that you've seen? Yeah, I actually was with a customer the other week bringing Power Automate and Fabric together with Power BI and doing a transitional, synthetic transition of taking data from Tableau utilizing the benefits of Power BI, which you just covered, but really the connectors that you mentioned around Microsoft Fabric was how clever, expandable and resourceful is it in being able to ingest Copilot into that mix. And at the moment, I think Copilot's really good at Teams, but if you start moving into Excel and some of the M365 services, it's not quite there yet. So I think 
we definitely have the right tool sets, starting with the fabric at the back, power automating to Power BI. We've got the ingestion of the co-pilot coming from um, Teams. So, you know, do we have the ultimate answer for all customers? No. But the great part about this is they don't know how how to do it either. So what we're looking at is asking the intelligent questions, making sure they do centralize that data, getting below the skin of what their business is looking to achieve, speaking in a language that the C-suite can help see innovation and insights, and then we'll take the transition of the back-end IT through those tools elegantly and then give it back as a package But once we've understood it and trained them. So it's a journey. Let's do that. So, so, so thanks, Rich. And thanks, Gary. Um, I think that leads us nicely. The data, data is uh, such a big conversation to, and, and being able to put it in one place. Yeah. Utopia. But that then leads us on to, uh, I'm going to bring Mr. Harding in. Let's bring Adam Harding into this, Helen, the, the person who uh, looks after this, this band of people. And, uh, and let's start touching on this AI subject then. AI everywhere, um, Mr. Harding. We're going we're gonna to get your views on it because everything we're talking about is data and Windows 11, connectivity, securing it and all that kind of stuff. But let's face it, AI has been the number one topic this year. What do you think is happening in that space? Give us your opinion. Where do you think it's going? Well, firstly, I want to say thanks. I am lucky to be surrounded by these incredible individuals, but also next year, can you remind me not to go last on this podcast? Because they've covered so much about the impact of AI already. Let's let's zoom out a little bit and just, just look at the look at the demand we've seen. So 1366. That is a significant number for us because that is the amount of uh, people who actually attended just two 45-minute webinars that we hosted on AI over the last few weeks. To Rich's point, that is a staggering amount of interest from people. Uh, same type of thing, you know, we've been doing this for over two decades and we've been through the virtualization craze and the cloud craze and we've um, helped people out when uh, massive events like WannaCry happened and we have never seen an uptake like that on anything. Um, so I think the, the demand is real. It's not just what you read about in the news. Looking at that demand, if you, if, you, if you talk to the analysts and you talk to the vendors, they'll call out use cases like personalized marketing, uh, product and service innovation. Um, in Kieran's area, they'll talk about fraud detection and cybersecurity. In some of the verticals, you'll have, have things like medical research and diagnosis. But if we look at the conversations we're actually having on the coal face, to steal your term, Dino, um, the majority of them are focused around uh, content creation and design, um, creating private chatbots and virtual assistants. That's that's huge. Data segmentation and analytics, uh, which is separate to the predictive analytics and forecasting. That's really just trying to get a hold and a handle on the data as it stands today and using all of that to accelerate automation across their businesses. And we're seeing lots of different use cases. We're seeing, for, you know, for instance, the private chatbots. We're currently creating AI-driven project management systems for, for construction companies. Um, we're creating private chat GPT to interrogate HR platforms so that uh, people can ask the, all the small questions that saturate the days of, of, of the HR team. Um, from content creation, we're helping 
Customers create instant automated reports um, for their finance departments. From data segmentation, we're doing things like helping customers spot patterns across their, their service desk tickets and factor in the feedback maybe they're getting from things like Twitter, where the data is just too vast and too disparate to make any sense of uh, at the moment. Uh, and then for things like the um, language translation, large language models, well, language translation we're for a global company, we're creating instant multilingual translation so that they can foster better international partnerships and customer service and project execution. And then for, for natural language, pretty much across the board, the, the consistent theme is using AI to democratise data analytics and business intelligence down to the people who actually have the questions, I suppose. But taking... Again, a slightly different view of it to what we've spoken about so far. I would say one of the other consistent themes we're seeing is customers are not just looking for co-pilot. They're looking for co-pilot plus custom AI solutions to address those those bigger challenges, the things that are more specific to them. So I know we're not on to the 2024 bit yet, but I definitely see, the tr see this trending towards people having multiple different AI tools to solve multiple different problems. So you'll have Copilot plus custom AI solutions. It, it, it's interesting as well, isn't it, Adam? Because you start, you're starting to even see, from, from a networking standpoint on my island, you're starting to see networking vendors come to market with specific validated designs for AI local networks. Um, the likes of Dell are starting to play in this in, in this environment. We're starting to see more people leveraging things like GPU, DPU uh, units for processing that data much quicker at a lower latency because of the nature of how these networks have to operate to produce the output that they do. Um, it's affecting all areas. It's going to be really interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys have done a pretty good job of explaining the impact, but I might touch on that in a second. Um, so when you when you when you look at that world of custom AI solutions plus Copilot, we started to have um, really deep and interesting conversations with um, some familiar vendors, but probably with different products. So you're looking at people like um, IBM are extremely strong when it comes to. AI solutions. Um, you're looking at NVIDIA, who are infamous for being the underpinnings for everything. But when you look at their software stack, them and IBM both have full AI development software stacks that can enable you to, to achieve almost anything. Then you've got the likes of AWS, who have possibly more, more targeted solutions. They have things for image recognition and vid video recognition. They have things, uh, they've got Amazon Q that's been released always in beta, I think, at the moment, depends when this goes out, that compete with Copilot from a Microsoft standpoint. And then you've got the likes of, so, so probably AWS, IBM and NVIDIA are, are in my mind as they're the teams, they're the vendors we will be working with moving forwards and focusing on at least for the next kind of 12 months to help customers uh, pull together these custom solutions. But then you've got the likes of Google who are personal opinion. I think they were a little slow off the mark. They'd been working on this stuff for years, but through OpenAI and Microsoft, that their speed of, of uh, development and their speed of launching a product just knocks everybody sideways. So I think Google are having to play a bit of catch up there. But they've got things like um, uh, Bard and they've got things like Gemini coming. Um, so when you pull it all together, I suppose the, the world of AI over the 
2023, although everybody's pretty much in experimentation phase, you will obviously hear um, the exceptions to the rule where people have just jumped to um, production. But it's really about products like AWS, IBM, NVIDIA uh, and Microsoft. It's uh, And then it's about services partners that can help you actually deliver the content and creation and design AI, the data segmentation analytics stuff, the, certainly the private chatbots, which is where you take your own private chatbot, you uh, align it a role, so you make it a HR expert, a finance expert, whatever type of expert you want, and point it at your own internal data so that it can work specifically for you. I think that's that's going to be huge. The large language models, the predictive analytics and the, and the automation, you, you work with partners that can do that because those skill sets just don't exist everywhere. You know, there just aren't enough people. And then I'd say probably what's really happened and really started to happen is um, lots of organizations getting partners like us uh, and partners like our partners, to be fair, in to help you with data assessments, security assessments, uh, and to, to create centers of excellence so you can put the guidelines and guide rails around this stuff and set off in the right direction and do it in a way that's ethical and do it in a way that's safe. I think the guys have, have touched on a lot of the related impact it'll have in different areas. So Jack touched on AIPCs, for want of a better term. I personally wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Windows 12 uh, come out over the, the course of 2024. Maybe it'll be called Windows 12, don't know. I think that in the hybrid platforms uh, arena, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of demand on cloud platforms, obviously, because um, people hadn't haven't bought spare capacity just to do this thing that came out of nowhere. I think the same is true for on-premises. Lots of uh, servers and, and and a lot of storage is going to be required on-premises for those people that want to run it independently on their own. Again, they didn't go out and miraculously buy lots of headroom for this random new technology that came out of nowhere to hit us. Um, Gary touched on Edge. I think there's a real demand for um, connecting your physical world with your digital world. So edge plus IOT and operational technology, I could see that really picking up. I could see a, a lot of people having to rely on co-location facilities from the likes of Equinix um, to try and give them some physical space and some physical presence to deploy this stuff. And then in, here in Cyberworld, they're still making the rules up. So I think people are gonna really require GRC services, governance, risk and, and compliance services to help unpick the do's and don'ts of this stuff. And I would even say, and Kira might challenge me on this. I'm not entirely sure that in the cyber world, we really know how to secure the AI stuff yet. I think there'll be new, the existing vendors will move very quickly to try and find a position. I think new vendors will come out of, will come out of the, the woodwork that are specifically set up for this world. And then to Tom's point, there's more kit, so there's more connections. The IoT thing I mentioned just now is gonna lead to probably an even bigger increase in the need for private 5G. Um, to reach those areas that can't be reached. And personally, I think observability is going to be high up on the agenda because if we're trusting these machines and robots to make decisions with us and for us, then we better make damn sure they're working. Adam, that's a really good summary of everything. You've kind of done, Helen, Adam's done our job there, I think, by covering everything there at the end. <laughs> Apologies. I, to be fair, I was stitched up by the rest of the crew saying all the good stuff first and then having to wing it. <laughs> they did too good a job. I do have one question, though, and I will open it back up to everybody because you touched on sort of the, the few layers to work through 
um, when you're looking at AI. And you even mentioned it, sort of new vendors popping up. So I'd be interested to know what vendors are you guys keeping your eye on in this AI space that, that you're going to see being more prominent next year? Microsoft, only Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't expect anything else for it. <laughs> uh, so actually, Helen, that's a really good, because as, as Adam was speaking, I realized I kept thinking the other way from the customers. We spend a lot of time asking customers how they want to integrate with AI, but and I think I said this to Adam uh, a couple of months ago, my interest here is what's happening with our vendors and partners. They're all going to level set. They're all going to say they're smarter, faster, more real time, and they're all going to integrate AI, which is fantastic. But I want to know what that means because I want to know how I can help the partners we bring to our customers is a use case of where and how did their services become much better than the past? What did they do specifically? And how can the customer get the best use of that? And if you start educating customers from the way that we bring our partners in, in the way that they're doing it, it absolutely complements the customer having a better insight than just trying to focus and push the customer out front and let them take the risks. So I think it's both ways. Observability does link into that world of AI, having the ability to to truly observe, visualize, understand the dependency mapping um, when we look at an AI environment, all the way from an AI stacks, from the apps to the infrastructure to the AI layer, but having that all in one place to understand how it's all connecting together and how it's all communicating is is crucial to, to Adam's point earlier, to making sure it's performant. Yeah, I'd, I'd jump in from a security perspective. I think probably caveat before I go into the vendors that AI is something that we need to embrace, um, typically not associated with security in the past, maybe. In terms of how we've seen that embrace with technology, I think there's been less new vendors for once in cybersecurity um, and more existing vendors taking advantage of artificial intelligence and specifically generative AI. We have had a data problem in cyber for quite a while. Uh, so we've had machine learning to help us cut through noise and get more better detections to enable us to respond and make decisions quicker. We've seen a kind of an evolution of that with people like CrowdStrike, Sentinel-1. They've both brought out their own large language model integration into their now fairly sizable platform. If you think about CrowdStrike, and I mentioned consolidation um, earlier in my chat, they have a lot, 30 plus products over one, what is essentially a large data lake or platform. And they've integrated that large language model to lessen the human activity in things like threat hunting, where you have to hypothesize, which is human heavy. And then it's a lot of searching, it's a lot of querying, just like, you were doing Google 15 years ago, right? And if you can do that in human language and not structured query language, you get more effective results a lot quicker. And the other one is reporting. Gary mentioned C-level reporting, super important, even more so important in cyber to justify investment, justify continue investment, uh, get a better understanding of how cyber links to business risk. So that's how we've seen them adopt them. Ads mentioned Google as well. Um, it's worth a note that he also mentioned that we've not quite figured out what the rules are yet. He's quite right. The EU AI Act, which is a risk-based regulation coming out of the European Union, much like um, GDPR had uh, did in 2018, is going to split AI systems into four levels. 
based on the risk that those AI systems pose. And then after that, it's up to organizations to understand how they map control frameworks. And without spoiling our 2024 podcast, which is probably where I will mention this in more detail, that's how I see uh, the large bulk of the effort in cybersecurity being focused on, obviously, data and the things that, that Gary was talking about around governance, specifically data security, and in within cyber privacy and data loss around those things, and trying to map control frameworks. So we've seen NIST come out with um, their AI risk-based framework, and we've also seen Google come out with SAFE, uh, S-A-I-F, so secure AI framework, which put good high-level structure in place, but I think that's where we'll spend the majority of our time in, in 2024. So that's a good segue. So we're not we haven't we're not going to have a podcast of 2024. No, no, no. We're gonna we're gonna play a game show like we did last year. We are going to predict your tech. That's what we're gonna do. And last year we gave you 60 seconds, which was a bit tough. So we're gonna give you two minutes each. And we're gonna start with Gary, Helen. And I've got a stopwatch. And we're gonna predict your tech for 2024 on hybrid platforms and data. That's what we're gonna do. No pressure. Okay. Firstly, the revolution has finally become the evolution for AI. I'm not quite there with it in my mind, but I think the right way to innovate hybrid data center platforms and cloud in the future is to fully embrace. But the precursor is for my predictions. Finally, it's all about data, data, data. So the prediction Data governance, absolutely crucial in the development of hyperconverged infrastructure. And I spoke about how it helps modernize it the right way, consolidates, reduces power. Perfect. That's got to be adopted much, much more by our customers. I think the second prediction will be the data governance is absolutely critical for observability. Um, application performance management with all the log tracing, the log management. Let's get smarter. Let's push the data messaging. Let's not worry about the tin because that's always going to come. But people's strategy needs to be borne out by the things that lead it, applications and data. It's also going to help sustainability we know because how things get duplicated how things get refreshed turned on turned off and automated how ai is going to take care of all those tedious back-end resource hungry compute and resource from talent pool which is still too small is why data still sits there so I'm super excited to use an American phrase that 2024 is the time that we can push data out the front and modernize build the right platforms and build the C-suite messaging. One and a half minutes there, Gary. You did well. Get, Helen, that's pretty good. Is that like a, is that a timer now? Should that's work on very that? good. Yeah. Clearly, uh, two minutes is a bit too much. I should, yes. 2024, yeah. one minute. Yeah. One, <laughs> one minute 30. One minute 30. <laughs> so I think we're on, we're on to Kieran now. So I think I'll continue with the AI theme for cybersecurity. I think this is going to drive positive trend um, and to segue nicely from Gary's point on data governance. I think that the large bonus of people wanting to adopt and create use case and see how that fits into business for generative AI is they know that they're going to have to sort their data governance. I think data governance is going to basically have some decision domains, um, and that's going to be around data quality, data security, data architecture, your associated metadata, your data lifecycle, and how you store that data, so data storage. I think 
those are going to have positive impacts that something we've probably pushed to like the bottom of the pile in cyber because it's really quite hard to do and there's not been like a massive bonus or outcome to doing spending so much time effort and money on it so i think that's that's one prediction i think ai threats are obviously going to become more advanced but i'm going to take a a bit of a take on this in terms of how i think it's going to affect commodity threats more than it is targeted threats and it's going to pose more of a challenge for smaller to mid-sized businesses and organizations because effectively what this will do for threat actors is it saves them money Uh, it saves them money by saving them time and allowing them to reduce resources so that's the threat that we have from ai and i think they'll use that to do things like better commodity phishing spoofing um, and generally just increase their operations as a business and that's that's my predict there we go stop there there you go so sir you're getting towards the end of the two we're going to crack on though we're going to go straight into jack your time hello starts to predict your tech now nice thanks dean i've covered a lot of this stuff already on the podcast but i'm going to stick with the ai theme as well the ai powered pc uh, thing that we spoke about with the MPU chipsets being baked into devices moving forward feels very exciting but unknown. So I don't know exactly what this looks like from an adoption of vendors' capabilities perspective, but it feels like it has a lot of potential. So the adoption of that, seeing what's capable, I've got some theories on how it could work, but they're only just that. So that's the the most exciting one for me. The second one is all around how AI will be used to enable uh, constrained resources to to achieve more. So rocket powering things like you professional developers in your organization. Now, this is a thing already, but I think adoption of it will absolutely increase in 2024. Now, everybody on this call knows that I love to write code, but I'm not very good at it. I've had access to GitHub Copilot in the past. And because I can write pseudo code, the ability for it to allow me to actually then change that into code quite effectively is really exciting. And I think we'll see more of that. It's not just going to be for developers, but for other constrained resources around the world. And then the final one, and I mentioned this on the podcast previously, was all around AI-powered contact center. So this is really exciting because if you get this right, it means that your customer experiences will be improved. They'll be better, you'll be faster, and it could be used as a way of reducing cost as well. So really, really, really exciting. And at the moment, it looks like there are some vendors that are pulling ahead of others, and we've got some really innovative players in this space, such as DAOPAD and TalkDesk, and then integrating that into your uh, unified comms as a service platform unlocks all sorts of abilities. So that's the the three AI-related predictions for 2024 from me. Oh, right on the the second minute there. That's very good. Like you, You've done it before. You've practised. We're going to keep going. Last... We've got a couple more to go before we finish. Tom, you're next. Predict your tech. Okay, so there's going to be three things that I'm going to cover. One, alternative connectivity. Two, observability. And three, automation. 
So first of all, alternative connectivity. What are we going to see? I think we're going to see more adoption of 4G, 5G as connectivity methods for businesses, organizations, and also start to take IoT into the enterprise. 5G and 4G aren't the only thing, though. We're definitely starting to see the adoption of satellite-based connectivity. Starlink is now something that businesses are purchasing. We've also started to see some competitors in that space from the likes of Amazon uh, and OneWeb, funded by the EU, uh, really starting to take precedence in, the, in that place in that space and I think we'll start to see that competition evolving. Number two was observability. Why is it important? I think moving from monitoring to observability is a big step for organisations. It's about moving from looking at islands of technology and how they're operating to looking at ecosystems of technology and how they are working together. There's different stories for different areas of technology. Jack talked about uh, digital experience monitoring. Gary talked about application performance monitoring. In my world, absolutely, that's all about network performance monitoring, but having a tool set that can all come together and present that in a common single source of truth. Something a bit like what Rich was talking about with Fabric. Final bit, automation. I think automation is going to start to really come to market in force uh, as we enter 2024. That's partly propelled by, I think, the adoption of observability. Why? Because guess what? We can observe loads of things. We can identify where issues are really quickly. But then what do we have to do once we've identified where the issue is? We have to go and resolve that issue. Can we do that in an automated manner, improve our operational efficiency within IT teams? Linking it finally into AI. That might not happen next year, but I think that the automation and an AI-powered automation is something we might start to see some vendors go into. Done. That was right on as well. That was. Hang on. They're getting perfect at this timing. Wow. Very good. We're going to go last now to Rich. We're going to do your predict, your tech, and we're going to start now. Come as no surprise that AI is... On the agenda, specifically AI chatbots, personalized AI chatbots, particularly around Copilot Studio, it was announced a couple of months ago. It used to create chat GPT like experiences, but grounded in your own data. I think we'll see a lot more traction with that than we do in general M365 because the barrier to entry is significantly lower. You don't have so much data to control, you can point it to specific websites, to specific documents. And crucially, it doesn't have the same licensing requirements. So I think that's going to be a massive one in 2024. Likewise, prediction number two, AI, um, or specifically Copilot for M365 Readiness, is driving things like data governance. So location and governance are absolutely key. This has brought that higher up the agenda, so data discovery. Um, And finally, a full adoption change management process um, for AI in a way that we haven't seen for other technologies. That was just over the minute, so we could we could have gone we could have gone for record there, but that's been a fascinating set of things uh, for last year and predicting the tech for next year. So, um, firstly, I want to say thank you to everybody. It's been a, a bit of a marathon recording, so I really do appreciate your time, Helen. Have you enjoyed yourself? Absolutely, it has been incredible. I have loved it. Thank you so much. Um, excellent guests excellent commentary um, and just touches on really that AI is in everything 
And I think that's a good place to stop and finish. So, Helen, thank you for co-presenting today. And you'll be he- hearing from Helen Moore next in the next season of Explain It. So uh, look out for that. And thank you all for joining us today. As always, thank you to our audience for listening. And please remember, we like to hear from you. So why don't you leave us a review as it goes a long way to help make this better for you. We'll be back next season. So have a fantastic uh, 2024, everybody. And we'll be back with a whole array of subjects next year. That sounds like, well, they'll all be about AI, I'm sure. Thank you.